They say that life is a journey. We're always searching for something. Love, a job, hidden treasure, a meaning for life. I'm usually just searching for my keys. For this edition, we went around Prague digging into the personal and not-so-personal journeys of our fellow life adventurers. From matchmaking, to the history of families, to the search for a delicious fungus, people are always looking for something. So, what do they find? Welcome to the podcast. This is the sixth episode of our podcast and the last of our spring 2015 season. Today we'll be joining a few people as they search for that elusive something or someone that's missing from their lives. I'm Anexi Barnes. And I'm Al Lutz. Thanks for joining us. For our first search, the podcast team ventured out into the wild also known as a random field in Prague 10, location unknown, to pick some mushrooms with mycologist Jan Borowiczka at the very beginning of the mushrooming season. He talked to us about the Czech tradition that is mushrooming and taught us a few things to look out for the next time we're out searching for some fungi. Mushroom picking in the wild is a widespread phenomenon in uh, East European countries. In the Czech Republic, it is a tradition. People simply go with their children to the forests and pick mushrooms, So, and everybody likes it. It's probably some kind of magic, because you get up early in the morning, take your basket and knife, and you never know if you find something. I think it's called mushroom hunting. It's something similar how to go fishing or go hunting. It's yeah, you never know what you find. As a result, you can you <laughs> use the mushrooms for preparing some some food. So it's a practical practical thing. You know I'll bring her in that most Czech people know about this and know which different types of mushrooms grow when? Well, the mushroom season, I think, for many people is, is in fall. But usually people commonly pick mushrooms uh, which are called bolides, and these have pores or tubes under, under the cap. But now, in, in springtime, there are not many mushrooms in the, in the forest. So uh, if you want to go to the country and pick some mushrooms, this is the only opportunity you, you can have. So is this one of the best spots in Prague to go mushroom hunting, these kinds of open fields and meadows? In springtime, uh, you should visit meadows and traps and probably forest edges yeah, and borders. But in summer and in fall, of course, you should go to the forests, yeah? And you will find different types of mushrooms. But here, the season has just started. So uh, we must simply follow the conditions. <laughs> Am I gonna find a child you know called St. George's Mushroom and uh, it's uh, very common in meadows, grassy areas and shrubs, grows everywhere and uh, it has a very specific smell like meal or, or cucumber mm-hmm. yeah and uh, it's edible and tasty so many people simply go to the to the to the country and try to try to find them <laughs> That's so great. There are not many species occurring in, in, in early spring, but uh, this is one of them. And, uh, well, I'm not a cook, but <laughs> uh, I think people make a very specific uh, white sauce of these, of these, of these, of these mushrooms. Mm-hmm. 
Are there any specific things you should look for that let you know if a mushroom is poisonous? Uh, no, you <laughs> simply must uh, know the, the features to recognize particular species. For example, there is uh, one very favorite mushroom which is called uh, blusher. And uh, this blusher has a twin. It's called false blusher <laughs> or Panthera marida, I think. Uh, and this is poisonous. And uh, every year we have many poisonings because people simply find uh, one blusher and do not care and pick everything in close, in close areas. Yeah, and this, this might be a problem because they both grow in the same habitats. So uh, you must know the differences between them and recognize them. Every, every, every piece you find, you, you must check. Have you encountered any dangerous situations with mushrooms at all? Well, we have no bears. <laughs> No, no mountain lions, so <laughs> there is no danger in the country. But of course, some mushrooms are uh, poisonous. So everybody who goes uh, picking mushrooms uh, should know the edible ones and should be able to recognize the dangers. And every year there are poisonings and uh, some poisonings may result in death. So uh, this is quite dangerous and you must, you must take care. Did you know mushrooming was a wildly popular Czech hobby? No, but I feel like I'd have better luck finding a mushroom than a boyfriend. Well, you're in luck. Our next segment features a savvy matchmaker. Searching can be hard, especially when you are a young professional looking for someone to share your life with. So how do we address the struggle of searching for love? We met with Katerina Nyemsova, who has dedicated her career to this cause. Nyemsova is the founder of an exclusive matchmaking agency, Find L'Amour. Katerina is originally from Slovakia, and just nine months after establishing her first branch in Prague, she was called the Coco Chanel of Czech matchmaking. I'm intrigued. There are many ways one can search for a date, but what I believe it comes down to is knowing what you are looking for. I always encourage my clients to make their love order, so to say, as specific as possible. Um, but at the same time, I also remind them that nobody is perfect and it is good to have an open mind and heart when, when searching. So how has social media kind of changed the realm of the dating world? Well, it definitely changed the realm of the dating world enormously. Now people don't really talk to each other. For example, in a public transportation, you see them staring at their smartphones and swiping <laughs> through online dating applications such as Tinder. I think it's a pity, for example, in Prague, which is the city with the highest number of singles in Europe. The single people of Prague are really awesome, and many of them could be in a decent relationship, and uh, they are not. With all this being said, do you think that true love can exist? Absolutely, of course, I believe that. Otherwise, I could not be doing what I'm doing. Unfortunately, these days, many people confuse ego, lust, and insecurity with true love. Um, I also believe that true love doesn't happen right away. It's an ever-growing process. It develops after you have gone through many ups and downs, when you have suffered together, cried together, loved together. And I feel very, very blessed to have found true love myself. We are in a long-distance relationship. He's an American living in Italy, but we are very happy together. So what advice do you have for young people who are searching for a significant other, for maybe making them into a life partner? I would tell them, 
listen, it is up to you and no one else who is responsible for your life but you. And your ultimate success depends on the choices you make. What's a horror story that you've either experienced yourself on a date or you've seen some of your clients that you've had to kind of go in and help them out? Well, I can share some of my own stories. Uh, when I was living in New York City, apart from interning in a matchmaking agency, I was experimenting with different online dating sites. And a couple of the dates I got through free online dating sites were real horrors. For example, one guy who looked like Leonardo DiCaprio in the pictures on the site and had a really nice description of himself turned out the real psycho a few minutes after we met and literally wanted to rape me at the McDonald's. And of course, there were um, many other cases of guys simply not saying the truth about themselves and just trying to show off, trying to be someone who they were not. And just there were a lot of lies involved and cheating. But, you know, if you're at least a little bit intuitive, you, you get a pretty decent understanding of a person very soon. You just follow your heart and what your intuition tells you. And uh, you can save yourself a lot of energy and time. Definitely. I'm sure it's natural that these situations will occur and hopefully there are more positive ones than the Oh negatives. yeah, there were plenty of positive ones. We believe if you search for love outside of yourself, you will never find it. And uh, the path to a successful relationship really starts with self-acceptance, self-love and self-development. And once you truly like yourself, understand yourself, accept yourself, then the whole universe and sometimes through Find L'Amour will show you the door to a happy and healthy relationship with your right match. Seems like I'm not alone in the search. Well, there's definitely hope for you. Let's shift our focus from the personal to the professional. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Searching for the perfect day job or night occupation is probably one of the more treacherous searches that most people will embark on in their young adult life. But it also means new beginnings and bright futures. Broadcast met with Jana Lektorova to discuss what it's like to search for a grown-up job. I studied Charles University of Prague, political science and journalism. And I've been living in Prague since I was, I don't know, three months old pretty much my whole life. And when did you realize that you wanted to study politics and journalism? Probably in the last or third year of my high school studies. How do you think most people in the Czech Republic who plan to go to university go about figuring out what they want to study since they decide before entering college? I think it's more difficult in Czech Republic to decide what you want to study uh, than in America because you have, to, you have to decide before applying for university, before signing up. And I think most of young people make this decision just based on their subjects in high school, in which subjects they are good at, in which they are bad. You don't want to study something you are bad at. Also, it depends on, uh, on teachers, because if you're a great teacher, he can, or he or she, of course, can show you how great the subject or the field is and can make you passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So I think most of people are uh, depending on their teacher, high school teachers. So basically we need good teachers for every subject to 
make young people to study. I guess the daunting question, so once you get to university and you're studying what you feel is most interesting to you, how do you go about figuring out what career you want to pursue after? I will be focusing on political science in a theoretical way, so I will be probably an academic person. I think mostly it depends on opportunities which you find and which you see during your university studies because a lot of Czech schools are cooperating with uh, experts from practice, so with businessmen or, for example, I get uh, a lot of friends on marketing, marketing studies. They have these opportunities to talk with really experts on this field and they get a lot of chances to see how does it work in a real world and get the chance to try it for, I don't know, for a few weeks, for a month, for summer. Do you think that there are other things that are more important to search for or learn about in college than, than what job you'll have? In my opinion, yes. I'm definitely not focusing on searching a job. I'm searching for knowledge, I'm searching for new experiences, for, I don't know, I would say adventures, but if you're studying, <laughs> and of course in political science there's not such space for adventures but <laughs> yes i think there are important things and that was yana lektorova talking to the podcast about finding the perfect job we all want a job we love but some things are easier said than done how do you search for something that isn't there prague has witnessed hundreds of years of history and the landscape of the city has changed accordingly some people spend their days trying to reimagine what the city used to look like Progcast met with Alex Went, author of the Prague Vitruvius blog, to hear about parts of Prague that have become unrecognizable. Well, I think people come to Prague for all kinds of different reasons, obviously, some, some of them more salubrious than others, but the thing that nearly everyone says is that they're turned on by the architecture. So we're standing at the National Museum right now, um, which I mean, I assume you want to talk about it a little bit. So Yeah, uh, <laughs> I arranged to meet you here because this is really the point in the city of Prague where the old town met the new town in the 19th century. And in fact, Wenceslas Square, which is this enormous boulevard, it's more like a, a big street than a square, was originally, in medieval times, the horse market. It was only called Wenceslas Square at the end of the 19th century. And I think what we'll do, actually, is we'll move down Wenceslas Square now, and I'll tell you a little bit about what it would have looked like in the 1860s. Not too long ago, but it would have looked radically different from how it appears now. So here we are at the top end of Wenceslas Square, which is actually the south end, and in front of us rises up this enormous monumental national museum, which I think most people think is the National Parliament. It's absolutely grandiose building. Um, and looking down towards the other end, you're actually looking towards the old town. And a long, long time ago, these two were separated by a moat which ran across. And there was a tiny, tiny little bridge which ran, which connected the two parts of the town and the Czech word for a bridge is most and the Czech word for a little tiny bridge is mustek so the name of the metro station at the end there is is mustek named after this little bridge the bridge isn't there anymore nor is the smelly moat so we're now walking down politických vězňů which is a, a translated means political prisoners street it's a name uh, taken from the Nazi period of occupation 
and about halfway along this street uh, we find ourselves outside the main post office of Prague and the really interesting thing is that in the 14th century this street was called something else it was called Platea Angeli and it was so called because of a Florentine pharmacist whose name was Angelus and what he did was he planted a garden here where the post office is now uh, deliberately to grow herbs and special plants from which remedies could be made and it was called Hortus Angelicus or Angelo's Garden and he was probably the most famous Italian in Prague in the 14th century he'd been allowed to come and ply his trade as a pharmacist in Malenamiesti, which is where the NYU campus is. But he, the actual plants and herbs he plucked from the garden here in Wenceslas Square. We're talking today in one of the best preserved cities in Europe on the very day when Islamic fundamentalists in Syria are about to enter the gates of the ancient city of Palmyra and given their behavior so far, probably destroy it completely. Uh, as a symbol of idolatry. If something like that were to happen in Prague, I would imagine that people would have a bit more to say about it. Uh, I think it's absolutely vital, in answer to your question, Sophie, that the, you know, we really step back and take the long view. This isn't a Disney heritage center. Uh, this is a lived-in city. And previous generations have had the good sense to preserve, to imitate, and to try to uh, capture the essence of, of successive generations of people and of history in the architecture. And I think if we were to lose all of the architecture, we'd also be losing a great deal of the spirit of the place. Luckily, some things in Prague can be found again. We can always look to the past to find solace in the present, sometimes in the search for their own identity. People will delve into their family history for answers. Genealogist Julius Mueller quit his job as a molecular biologist to dedicate his life to helping people trace their ancestry. Pausing his search for a cure for cancer, Mueller established the Toledot Jewish Family History Center in Prague. Progcast went to speak with Mueller about his work at the Toledot Center. Usually people are coming to learn about the great greats to have a kind of sense when the ancestors came from. But the other part is also because a lot of Jewish people left Europe when the Nazis came to the power. So they are more interested in, in Shoah history and what happened to the family members who stayed here. So if they're able to escape, if they survived the concentration camps, or if they died, and when they died, and how they died. And that's, that's part of the heritage also, because one of my clients told me, which I like that sentence very much, he said, you know, the Nazis took my heritage from my family, so I want to have it back. So this must be a very emotional process. Do you have any favorite examples of reunions? I was doing a tour. I took a, a man, older man from California. He went to the small town in southern Bohemia. And then he told me, when you think about the family, how they left Czechoslovakia in 1939. And he told me that he has a brother. And, and it was an old man. And they didn't speak to each other for 30 years. And then we just continued conversation. We went to the place, visited visit the synagogue, spoke to the local people. And then we came back to Prague, and that was it. And after three years, 
I got, an e I got an email from the brother that he heard from his daughter who is in contact with his brother that he went to southern Bohemia for kind of family route trip. And if I, if I can take him also to the same place. <laughs> and then uh, you know, gradually I started to realize what the significance of that because then he came and we did almost the same tour two or three years later to the same place, visited the same synagogue, spoke about the similar topics. And then gradually, you know, they started, started to talk about the 18th century history, <laughs> which is having a wonderful bridge. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's not so sensitive like a recent day, so they could just share some thoughts. And gradually, they just rebuilt the relationship. Relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, that's another good example that I'm really grateful that I can do those kind of things. That I can be mediator between those two people who were, you know, lost contact long, long time ago. Some of these searches seem to require a great deal of work. Are you always able to find what people are looking for? If I can say that I have a 100 clients per year, one of those, um, I hit the block. I know many, many alternatives. If some records are missing, I usually know where to look for something replacing the old records. How did you begin your work helping other people with their searches? Well, I, well, when I started, I was doing the family history for my own family. And I learned a lot, lot of things, how to read the old script and uh, where to go. And, uh, and then my own family was not interested. So I just overcame that kind of frustration by suggesting that I can do research for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Gradually, my own people just, they, they acknowledged that later on. But I mean, in the first place, I, I just said, okay, I, I know a lot of things. And I really like that. This is combination of detective work. Mm. And I'm kind of looking for the missing clues, and and I learned a lot along that pathway. So I decided to to do the research for other people. It was 1999. Was it internet already? I guess yes. Well, then <laughs> I did a web page, yeah. and I suggested that I can do some research. Uh -huh. Within a month, I had three clients from from Sweden and two from the States. Oh. That was kind of sign for me that I am on the right path. And a few years later, I quit my job as a molecular biologist. I'm not saying that the, the cancer research and cell-cell interactions and gene and chromosome translocation are too interesting. It's a fascinating area. But for me, you know, meeting real people, helping them along the identity path, for me was much more significant. Sometimes we find more than what we search for, but sometimes the search itself makes the best story. We've been happy to bring real stories from the Czech Republic these past few months and hope that you join our new team in the fall for more riveting and fulfilling adventures. And thanks to our editor Rob Cameron and the whole podcast team, Zoe Edelman, Megan Donnelly, Sophie Frank, Darian Henshaw, Tom Ishizuka, and Winona Rinkus, and special thanks to Griswold, who performed our original theme, which is composed especially for this podcast by Dalton Core? Feel free to get in touch with us at nyupodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the username Prodcast. I'm Anexi Barnes. And I'm Elle Lutz. Thanks for listening to the broadcast. Tune in again soon and don't give up your search. <laughs>